lead us not into temptation. So lead us not into temptation is part of the Lord's prayer. Jesus taught us to pray when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your, Your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we're praying for God's provision in our life, that God would open his hand and take care of his children, bringing before the Lord a medical need or physical need or family need. We can be honest with God and let him know what we need. He already knows what we need, but he wants to hear from his children if we have not because we ask not. And then secondly, when we pray, forgive us our trespasses, as we have forgiven those who trespass against us, this is a prayer for God's pardon, for God's forgiveness, right? We'll never come to the end of asking God for his pardon in our lives or extending that grace to others. This morning, we look at lead us not into temptation, which is a prayer of protection. Some don't see the linkage between God's pardon and protection. So let me tell you a little story. There was a pastor who went to a hospital, and he drove around the block some 10 times, but he couldn't find a spot. So he parked in a no parking zone and left a note saying, I'm a pastor. I'm here to minister to somebody in the hospital. You know, forgive us our trespasses. So he went into the um, hospital, ministered to the patient, prayed over them, walked out, and there was a ticket on his car with a note. And the note said, I've been a police officer now for 10 years, and I've driven around this block for 10 years. Um, Lead us not into temptation. A little joke, right? You like it? You didn't like it. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. pastor was trying to use that as a kind of excuse that's right. So I'll tell you another joke. So this, um, it's a heavy topic. So this, this priest, um, this priest was kind of getting accustomed to hearing confessions. And he was a new, new priest. And so the older priest was teaching him about being a priest. And so after a few hours of this, the younger priest said, can you give me an instruction about, you know, how to receive confession better? He said, yes. He said, what is it? He says, when someone confesses their sin, don't say, wow. So, lead us not into temptation, right? Lead us not into temptation. The key verse for this is actually 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says, No temptation has overtaken you or seized you or laid hold of you, but such is common to man. And we sang about it. And God is faithful. God is so faithful with His nature God is so faithful with his compassion that he won't let you be tempted beyond which that which you're able to bear. But with the temptation, God himself will provide the way of escape that you can stand up under it. I want to say as we begin this morning that every person here is going to face temptation. 
And I can't tell you how to get rid of temptation. Sometimes we're surprised when we see temptation. But those who are believers and those who are non-believers all face temptation. And there's some seasons in our life where there's more particular um, temptations. There was a book written on temptation where it said that in our youthful years, our greatest temptation is sensuality. In our middle years, the greatest temptation is the acquisition of riches, becoming wealthy, having enough. And in our latter years, the greatest temptation is power, having enough power and security. As long as you live, you're going to face temptation. So if you're in temptation this morning, you're not alone, okay? You're in good company. You're around a lot of people that deal with temptation as well, right? Everybody here feels the pull of temptation. If you don't believe me, just read through the Bible, right? Noah, he was a man who was on an ark for about a year, and then he grew a little vineyard off the ark, and he ate, drank some of the wine and became drunk. Abraham, a man of God, you know, the father of faith, he uh, was living in the promised land, Canaan, and there was a famine, so he went down to Egypt. And when he went down to Egypt, he lied about his wife. He said she was his sister, and she became part of Pharaoh's harem. I'm sure Sarah wasn't real happy about all this. And then there's Moses, you know, the great leader of God who brought the people out of, out of Egypt. Well, he had issues with his temper, his anger. God would tell him to speak to the rock, and he struck the rock, and he disqualified himself. Of course, there's David, right? The great man of God, the warrior of God, the poet of God. But yet he, in an unguarded moment, looked from the rooftop, and he saw Bathsheba, and he summoned her. Every person who's ever walked the face of this earth has been tempted, and that includes the person of Jesus Christ. He was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what I'm saying to you in the very first part is, the holiest man who ever walked the face of the earth faced temptations. And to be a Christian, to be a disciple, this church is all about discipleship, right? Making disciples. To be a disciple, to be a Christian, is to become Christ-like. And in the journey of becoming Christ-like, we will all be tested as Jesus was tested in his life. To be like Jesus, then, is to be tested, to be tempted but not to succumb to that temptations. The Living Bible, translating this verse, says that wrong desires will come into your life, but they are not new and different to any of us. Many of us have faced the same temptations. We're all in this boat together, okay? We're all human. We all face temptations. It's the common experience of mankind. But God Himself is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able to bear. I like that, that God exercises brinkmanship. He doesn't give us more than we can bear. But God also provides for us the way of escape. There is, um, there is a, a way out for us. The enemy is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, right? So Jesus is faithful. 
He knows that sometimes our lives will come under attack, and He will provide for us the way of escape. God Himself will never tempt you, however. You can't ever say that I'm being tempted by God, you see. Why did Jesus go through temptation? Well, He knows what it's like to be tempted. (laughs) He can relate to me. He can relate to you in the midst of temptation. He knows the pressures and the problems that we deal with. He knows what it's like to be in our shoes. He knows what it feels like when the enemy comes against you. Ever ask the question, what would have happened if Jesus had succumbed to temptation? Well, he would have forfeited his right to be Messiah. But what happened because he overcame temptation? He provides for us this He provides for us this example. He also provides for us help in the midst of our temptations. The passage we're going to look at in a moment from Matthew chapter 4 really gives us insight into the enemy's playbook. Now today the Redskins are going to play against the Ravens. And I'm not going to try to ask, you know, which side are you rooting for here? Because I think I can probably can divide the house pretty easily. But a playbook contains strategy. The coaching team, the offensive coaches, the defensive coaches have a playbook, right? The coach has the playbook on a clipboard. The quarterback has the playbook on his forearm. Sometimes the play is called in on the helmet, right? Sometimes the crowd makes so much noise you can't hear the play being called in. But nonetheless, there is a playbook. Now, if you had the enemy's playbook, you could anticipate the enemy's moves. So what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 4 is he's showing you the enemy's playbook of how he brings temptation into our lives. I just want to say the enemy wants to come against you to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The enemy is out to destroy you and your family, and your marriage, and your children. I was reading about a tiger. Pastor Art, you read about tigers. So this tiger that no, no person that we know of has ever been attacked by a tiger they can see. A tiger kind of sneaks up from behind and jumps on its prey when they're unsuspecting. You see, if you know the tiger is coming, you can prepare yourself and guard against him, right? You're not surprised. What happens to us often is the enemy makes attacks upon us we really weren't expecting. So what is temptation, Pastor R? Temptation is the devil's attempt to entice us in this world through our own desires into sin. Let's do it one more time. Temptation is the enemy's attempts and he'll make many attempts. We'll talk about three attempts on the life of Jesus to entice us in this world through our desires into sin. The things that tempt me may not even bother you. The things that entice me, that draw me in, you can just walk by and be sort of oblivious to. For me, they are a great temptation because the enemy knows my own weaknesses and vulnerabilities. And there's things that may tempt you that don't even bother me, right? 
Like, for instance, I am not tempted by sweets, um, wedding cakes, homemade ice cream, pies have no drawing power to me. If you ever see me eat a piece of cake, it's because I'm just being social. Really, there's no attraction I have to anything sweet. I do find, however, that the less ice cream I have around the house, the less ice cream I eat. That's kind of a strategy for temptation, by the way, just not have it around, right? But when the waiter says to us, he says, did you save some room for dessert? I don't even hear the question because I'm not thinking about dessert. But Debbie will say, what do you have? You see, for her, there's an attraction to dessert. For me, there isn't the same attraction. What I'm trying to say is that temptation works on us differently because the enemy knows where we're vulnerable and he attacks our weaknesses. I have four five words I'm going to give you in just a moment, but before I do, I'd like you to go to Matthew chapter 4, and I'd like to read through a passage <clears throat> where it entails the temptations that Jesus went through. And we're going to look at three of these unique strategies that the enemy used. So let's just kind of read through together. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, turn these stones, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Temptation number one. Temptation number two, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up on their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Temptation number three, The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. The first word I want to give you is the word ready. To be ready for battle. Say with me the word ready. Say ready. 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 You want to get ready because it's a battle. There's going to be a battle, right? It's a battle for your soul. How How many people in this room are ready for temptation? When temptation knocks on the door, will you open the door? James says that each one of us is going to be tempted. Temptation is something that we all go through. Every person here has been and will be tempted. Are you ready? Jesus was ready. The Scripture tells us here that Jesus went out to the wilderness for two reasons. 
One was to commune with his father, to get ready for his ministry. The second was to be tested. You see, when you look at tested, the father will test us, but the enemy will tempt us. See, temptation is that we would be tripped up and fall and become ensnared. Testing is to refine us, to strengthen us. So Jesus is in the desert here where there's no restaurants, there's no motels, just scorpions and snakes, and he's being tested, right? He's being tested. The word parazo, temptation, is the two-sided tempted or tested. The devil wants you to fall, and God wants you to do well on the test. God wants to give you grace in the midst of the trials, but the devil wants to bring us down. I think about being ready, the kids of our generation being ready for the temptations they will face. How many would agree that your children, your grandchildren, are going to deal with temptations in this world? There will be marijuana joints at parties being passed around. There will be a cooler full of beer for all to partake. There will be somebody there ready to make a move on them. Temptation will be dropped into their laps. Are they ready? Will they succumb? What are you going to do when the temptation comes? I feel that one of the tasks we have as parents and grandparents is prepare our children for the inevitable trials and temptations and tests that will come into their life, to envision the circumstance they someday will find themselves in, and to prepare themselves in advance for how they will respond. I think about the student taking an exam, the pressure they feel to do well, to keep the scholarship, but they don't know the answer on the test. And there's a temptation, right? They're tempted to walk out of the room, right? I don't know this answer. They're tempted to Google it, right, to find it online somewhere. They're tempted to look at someone else's paper who may know the answer. How will they respond? Are they ready? What will they do? I think about the couple, and maybe some of you here, dating or courting. Now, I just want to say, it's not the right time to think about temptation at 2 a.m. in the morning, lying on the couch together. You agree? Temptation is something you inevitably will face in any relationship. God wants you to triumph over temptation. He wants you to talk about your boundaries, right? What your limits are, about where we want this to go, right? To enter into agreement and resolution. There is going to be temptation in our lives, and we need to get ourselves ready for it. If we're off to a college campus, there's a temptation to let your relationship with God slide, you know? Getting overwhelmed with classes, attending various sporting events, you know, making midnight taco runs and squeezing God out of the equation. There's a temptation to doubt your faith. You hear on college campuses that from professors or students that basically all philosophies and religions are the same, right? It's really easy to see your faith begin to slide or buy into the belief that there's no moral absolutes. Nothing is for sure, right? You make it up as you go. If it works for you, go for it. Or to give in to promiscuity. 
to sort of like just live for pleasure. The question here is, am I ready for the temptation? Am I helping somebody get ready for the inevitable battles they will face? Because this is a test of the soul. First one is on readiness. The second one is recognition. Recognition. The first is to be ready for the temptation. The second is to recognize the enemy's schemes. First John talks about the fact that for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father, but from the world. So temptation to us comes three primary ways. It comes through the cravings of our flesh, it comes through the lust of our eyes, and it comes from the pride of life. When the devil comes knocking at your door, when the devil becomes on attack towards us, he will attack on the areas of vulnerability. You see, we all have a flesh that wants to be appeased. We have a flesh that wants to be satisfied. We have flesh that wants to be indulged. We have flesh that wants to be gratified. See, we all live in flesh, but we have sinful flesh that's drawn toward sin through desire. And then we have eyes that see things, right? (laughs) With the lust of the eyes, I see it. I want it. I need it. I got to have it because I see it. You see, something I see, I deeply desire. See, there's desires inside of us. There's thirsts inside of us. There's hungers inside of us. There's yearnings inside of us. And with our eyes, we see it, and we want to take possession of it. We see somebody, and we say, I want him, or I need him, or I got to have him. Or we see somebody, and we say, I want her, or I need her, or I got to have her. And then we all have this pride, this pride of life, right? Pride is sort of the self-sufficiency that we live in. All right, so when Jesus is attacked by the enemy, how does he bring his attack? First off, the enemy went after Jesus when he was vulnerable by commanding him to satisfy a legitimate appetite by acting independently of his father's provision. After 40 days of fasting, The devil went after the Lord's flesh. Well, how did he go after Jesus in his flesh? The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. It's simply the lust of the flesh. The devil is saying, Your flesh is craving food. You've been starving yourself for 40 days and 40 nights. Your body needs foods. You know, if I miss lunch and dinner rolls around, I pretty much eat anything. I'm tempted to eat anything when I'm really hungry. That's when I'm vulnerable, right? I'll eat the stuff I shouldn't eat. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, 40 nights. 
The devil says, how about a little hot bread out of the oven? I mean, your stomach, I hear it, it's growling. (laughs) Come on, you know you want it. Let's add some hot butter to that nice, fresh, hot bread. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good, Jesus? Like some hot butter on some fresh bread right out of the oven, and you can make it? (laughs) Jesus said, I live to do the will of my Father. Jesus surely had the capacity to multiply loaves of bread, but here he was being tempted by the partaking of something outside of the Father's will. It's simply the lust of the flesh. And isn't it interesting that one of the areas that the enemy tempts us is with food? How tempted we are with food, especially when we are feeling vulnerable, tempted to eat too much food, tempted to eat the wrong kind of food, Tempted to OD on the food network, you know, lusting over food. (laughs) Eating is a physical appetite, right? You get to think about what your body needs and give to your body what your body needs, right? Then receive that as a gift from God, that God is supplying what your body needs. You know, most likely, your body doesn't need two large popcorns at the theater. The reason I know this is, The last time I went to the theater with Debbie, she was getting the ticket, and I was in the popcorn line. And I was waiting there about 20 minutes. (laughs) And I I started off thinking I'm going to get a small popcorn, because that's all we need is a little small popcorn. But having waited 20 minutes, I thought, oh, I deserve a large one. Then I learned that they give not only a large one, but a refill of a large one. So I actually refilled this popcorn the second time. And after I walked out of there, waddling out of the theater, feeling sick, I thought I was deceived with physical appetite, right? Just stuffing myself with popcorn. There was this guy, and he decided that, you know, his battle would be with donuts. Drew the battle lines, you know, I'm overweight, I'm not going to eat any more donuts. So, you know, at work there was donuts to eat. You know, there's a Dunkin' Donuts near his house, and very often he'd kind of swing in the Dunkin' Donuts and get himself some donuts and then go off to work and then, you know, gorge on donuts. But he resolved he wasn't going to do donuts anymore. But one morning he woke up with this uncontrollable urge, like, I need a donut. Like, it's going to be a good day if I get a donut. Lord, this is a test. If I find a parking space (laughs) at Dunkin' Donuts, I will see this as your hand. You know, you gave a, Gideon gave you a fleece. This is my fleece. If there's an open parking space, I will stop and get a donut. (laughs) On his 12th time around Dunkin' Donuts, he he found (laughs) the open spot. Isn't it interesting that God really does tempt us, or God does not tempt us. The enemy tempts us in the area of food, and the Lord tests us there. How about things like fresh chocolate chip cookies? How about cinnamons? I can walk by cinnamon and not be tempted. Can you believe that? Because it's not my area of temptation, right? Cinnamon has no draw to me. 
But I see the line forming. You know, I'm going like, there's a temptation. Just, just have a cinnamon. Recognize the enemy's schemes. The enemy wants to take you down. He's coming after you on the area of physical appetites, the area of what you're going to eat, the area of what you're going to drink, the area of your own sexuality, right? The area of giving your body rest. Your body has legitimate needs that legitimately need to be satisfied, but there's an inappropriate expression of the satisfaction of a physical appetite that's way out of the will of God. And I just want to say again, the enemy went after Jesus when he was vulnerable and when you're tired, right? You've had a difficult day. You're feeling sorry for yourself. People haven't been nice to you. You've been dealing with traffic all day. It was a longer day than you expected. You're feeling vulnerable, right? With your physical appetites. He wants you to satisfy a legitimate appetite by acting independently of the Father's provision. Your heavenly Father wants you to understand it's a battle. And this is a battle that can be won. But your eyes have got to be fixed on Him and not on that thing you think will satisfy your soul. Secondly, the enemy went after Jesus by commanding him to do something foolish to gain popularity and to prove his identity. The devil took Jesus to the highest point on the temple. He said, you can establish yourself once and for all. You can prove you are the Messiah. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to jump off the temple. Now, just to give you a sense of what this was, the Kidron Valley was 450 feet beneath the pinnacle of the temple. So what he's asking Jesus to do is to take a long leap off the top of this temple and fall, and then the angels of God would break his fall, even so he wouldn't bump his toe. You can prove that you trust God. You can prove that God is for you. You can prove the angels will catch you. Come on, Lord. You know you want it. You know you want the easy way. You want to become popular. You want to prove your identity. You can be seen by others and esteemed by them. He calls him into a foolish action. You know, we can be tempted to borrow money to buy something we don't need. We can be tempted to believe that our accomplishments produce our worth. You know who Kirk Cousins is, the quarterback for the Redskins playing against the Ravens today? Christian quarterback, just just saying. Um, Kirk Cousins, um, he was playing for Michigan State, and he had an especially poor game. And some reporters were talking to him about his performance in the game because they had lost, and he had thrown some interceptions and so on. And And he said, I'm glad my identity does not rest on the fact that I throw a football. Aren't you glad that your identity doesn't rest on how great a mother you are or not? On how much money you make or don't? See, we can compare ourselves to others. We can understand that our identity has nothing to do with throwing a football or making money. Our identity has to do with 
who we truly are. Jesus had heard from his father, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. He didn't have to prove his identity. He didn't have to achieve something in order to gain worth because the father had already told him who he was, his identity. When we live in our truest identity, we're less inclined to chase after a false identity. The enemy said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And thirdly, the enemy went after Jesus, offering him all the kingdoms of the world to bypass the cross. This is the lust of the eyes. This is what I would call bait on the hook for the fish. This is what I would call apples and peanut butter for the groundhogs. You say, what are you talking about, Arm? Now, I don't brag very often, but I just would like to brag for a moment. Uh, outside of my house are groundhogs that live. Um, we have a fence that sort of, we put up a sign, no groundhogs allowed. But the groundhogs found a way to dig on either side of the fence. So now there's a hole on one side and a hole on the other side. And um, in the last four weeks, I've caught four groundhogs. Aren't you impressed? You're not. But I want to tell you how I've done this. I have this have-a-heart trap. It's about three feet long, about a foot wide, has, you know, trap-like stuff in it. It has like a trap door. And so um, what I do is I smear peanut butter, you know, on this trap door. And then I put apples inside the trap. And in fact, I take from the groundhog whole little apples, there's a little trail of apples. So they can eat apples all the way in the trap. And so I just kind of set the trap and I wait for the, out, the uh, groundhogs to come. And then when my little dog, Schnick, starts going crazy, I know I've caught a groundhog. And then I take the groundhog from where he is and relocate him to an undisclosed location, <laughs> miles away from my home, and I let him go. So the, do- the groundhog was captured, he was caught in the trap, and now he's set free. You see what the enemy was doing to Jesus was he was setting a trap. He said, all these kingdoms on this earth are mine. They've been delivered to me. If you will worship me, then I'll give them to you. Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through pain. Just bow down to me. If you want it, if you want power and authority, splendor, you can get it. What the enemy was doing was offering to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world to bypass the cross. All this I will give you if you will just bow down and worship me. See, the first part about temptation is you've got to be ready for battle. The second part is you need to recognize the schemes, the strategies, the playbook of the enemy. The enemy is going to attack on the lust of the eyes, cravings of our sinful flesh, and at the level of our pride. So what is our defense when the enemy comes against us? The the devil will attempt to tempt us at our weak points, our vulnerabilities. He doesn't attack at our strengths unless we let our guard down. 
He goes after our weaknesses. So we have to recognize what our weaknesses are. The enemy is going to attack you in the areas where you're weak. How did Jesus respond to these temptations? He said, it is written. The defense we have is the Word of God. The Word is the only offensive weapon we have, the sword of the Spirit. The enemy is defenseless in the face of a man or a woman, a student, who can speak the Word of God. That is why we need to take in the Word. We need to let the Word be deeply within us, to put it into our memories, right? The offensive weapon you have is the Word of God. This is what Jesus did. He said to the enemy, it is written, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. You see, a person needs to speak when they're being tempted the Word of God over that temptation that it is written. It is written that no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, and He won't allow you to be tempted beyond which you're able to bear. And with the temptation, He will provide a way of escape that you can stand up under it. The Amplified Version, when it's treating this verse, this is what it says. I think it's up on the screen. It says, no temptation, no trial. Why don't you just say this with me, would you? See it on the screen? No temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has taken hold of you, has laid hold of you. That is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you. That is beyond human resistance. That is belonging to human experience, such as man can bear. But God is faithful to His Word and to His compassionate nature, not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability, strength of resistance, and power to endure. And with the temptation... He will always provide the way out, the means of escape, that you may be capable and strong and powerfully, patiently to bear up under it. Isn't that awesome? I love that. That God wants us to overcome the midst of temptation. So the first word is ready, ready for battle. The second word is recognize, recognize the enemy's schemes. Think third word is repeat. Repeat the Word of God. There's common temptations, you know, temptations to be attracted to persons of the opposite sex, to drink alcohol to excess, excess, to be rude. There's all kinds of common temptations that we deal with, but we need to repeat the Word of God over them. The fourth R is perhaps my favorite R, which is run. Say with me, run. Yes, run. (laughs) Say no and go. The longer you sit with that temptation staring you in the face, the weaker becomes your resolve. And when you succumb to the temptation, the stronger the stronghold becomes. You got to run. 
Three things the Word of God will tell us that we need to run from. Immorality, idolatry, and greed. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee the evil desires of youth. Say no and go. It says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. But I'd like to give you now one of my heroes from the Old Testament. His name was Joseph. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph was sold into slavery, as you know, and he went went down to Egypt. And he ended up being in the house of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was like the secret service guard to Pharaoh. He was the commander-in-chief of the Egyptian army. And everything that Joseph touched was blessed of God. The Lord was with him. The Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything inside the house, outside the house, with Joseph in charge. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord prospered Joseph. The Lord blessed him. One day, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph. She saw him, that Joseph was handsome, and Joseph had a strong build. And she tried what I would call the direct approach. She said to him, would you like to lay with me? In other words, Potiphar's wife propositioned him. She made it very easy for Joseph. Maybe there was a prelude to this, like, can I rub some oil into those strong muscles of yours? Do you want to just have coffee, some Egyptian coffee sometime at the Egyptian coffee shop? I mean, it's just about casual friendship, right? Just kind of hanging out with one another. But then she kind of like said, hey, dude, you're handsome. Hey, you're strong. Hey, want to lay in bed with me? I'm not doing this well, right? (laughs) Now, Joseph, Joseph, in the midst of this temptation, he said, my master has put me in charge of everything in the house except give me everything except you, his wife. And then she grabs Joseph by his cloak, right? I mean, it's pretty intense. And Joseph ran out of that room. Joseph provides to us the example of somebody who was under heavy temptation. It had been so easy for him to fall, so easy for him to succumb, so easy for him to give in to the desire. But Joseph was ready. He knew he was in a battle. Joseph recognized the enemy's scheme. How could I do such a thing and sin against my God? And Joseph ran for the hills. You're not being weak when you run in the midst of temptation. I cannot be in this setting. I must get myself out of this. I cannot be where I work doing this because I'm feeling strong temptation. There was a man, and he um, came to work one morning. He's new hire. And on his desk, there was an envelope with many $100 bills in it. He didn't, it wasn't addressed to anybody, just money laying on his table. And he put the money into his briefcase and took it home. But the next morning, he came into the boss's office and he gave the boss the money. He said, I don't know where this came from. I don't know how it ended up my desk, but I just want to give it back. And the boss said, thank you very much. It was a test. 
He says, what would have happened if I had taken that money home and counted up the money? What if I had thought about what I could do with that money? That'll buy some very interesting, nice things. You see, you have to see temptation and be ready for it. You have to see and recognize this is part of the enemy scheme. You have to repeat the Word of God, and then you have to run. (laughs) And the last thing I want to say to you is this. You have to return to the Lord because we all fall to temptation. There's not a person here who hasn't succumbed at one point or another to temptation. We've all fallen. Let's agree to that. But here's what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The Lord wants to bring the new rain, the refreshing rain. He wants to wipe out the sin. He wants to renew us. He wants to restore us. This is what John said, a man who had been much forgiven. My dear children, I write this so that you will not ever sin. If anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, an advocate. You know what his name is? Jesus. You know what I think about sin and temptation? When my eyes are fixed upon the temptation and I'm being drawn into the sin, I need to have a higher desire, a higher desire to please Jesus. A higher desire than to be defiled is to be pure. A higher desire than to be held captive is to be set free. And Jesus Christ is him who sets the captives free. I'm writing these things to you that you won't sin, right? That you'll see temptation for what it is, that you'll turn from it. But in case you do, there's one whose name is Jesus, who speaks to the Father on our behalf. When I was a little kid, what we used to do was fish. I know I'm in the presence of some fishermen here. Um, my father and I would get up early in the morning with my brother and uncle, and we'd go down to the shore, and we'd stop to get some bait. The bait would be like little uh, night crawlers or, you know, bloodworms, and we'd rent a boat and go out and fish. And I loved to drop the hook, you know, with the bait just over the shore and see the little fish come along. And if they were hungry and I was patient, sometimes the fish would bite. Sometimes the fish would, you know, just kind of bite a little bit and be ensnared in their, in their mouth, but kind of break free. Sometimes the fish would get hooked and be caught. And sometimes the fish would swallow the bait completely. And when the fish swallowed the bait completely, it would go down in her stomach. And that required a surgery of needle-nosed pliers to get that hook and bait out of that fish's stomach. For some of us who've swallowed the bait, there needs to be some surgery done to us to get the hook out of us because there's a snare, right? We've been trapped. And God wants to set you free. He wants you to see the bait of the enemy. He wants you to know it's a trap. And he wants you to swim away from it like a little fish as fast as you can go. (laughs) God wants to deliver his children. The enemy wants to ensnare. Would you pray with me? 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us, Lord, this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespassed against us. And lead us not, Lord, into temptation. Would you give us the eyes to see temptation for what it really is? Would you give us the courage to face what we have fallen into? Would you give us the power through the Holy Spirit to be delivered? But protect us, Lord. Protect us from the patterns that we're so easily falling into. Protect us on the area of our physical appetites, our desires to prove ourselves, our desire to prove our identity, our desire for power and to be esteemed by others. Father, just as the, your son was attacked, so we feel the attack. And we pray, Lord, that you will enable us to be free. God, this is our prayer. Set the captives free. Set us free. Jesus, we pray. And God's people said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.